We're back! We're back! It's distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth! I'm Roth! Hey, man. People can't see it, but you gave me a really awesome point there. Yeah, yeah. I gave you the good. Like, that's the guy. Hey, uh, it's that time of year again. The tournament. Uh, well, the tournament has already started, like, because of the first, we don't, the first we, four. We don't need to do that. We're all adults here, Drew. That's right, right. The real, the real, the real beginning of the tournament remains Thursday in my eyes. And that means it's time for a little... Ready? Here's good wow. to the round of sixty to the field of sixty-four. And that sound incredible uh, there. Unlike unlike other years, uh, I think that there are only so many ways that I can say Duke sucks without getting old. And so I thought, or I should say, much more to your credit, Roth. We thought this year uh, we should have someone on who knows what we're talking about. So to that end, we have we're innovating in year yes. nine of the podcast. We're having yeah, someone yeah. with expertise come on and join us. To that end, our guest uh, is advanced college basketball metrics analyst, Ken Pomeroy of the Ken Palm ratings. Hi, Ken. Ken Palm, the God. Hello guys. Hey man. Thanks for having me on. I just like it, to say Duke sucks. <laughs> Thanks. Well, it means a lot coming from you. So thanks it very much. Does. <laughs> it does. It does. It means so much. How are you and where are you? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, I'm in my house in Salt Lake City, uh, just hanging out here, you know, chatting with you guys. How is this time of year for you? Like, is this like an accountant at tax season or are you like hanging in there all right? Yeah, it's very much like an accountant at tax season. Like there's uh, there's a massive build up here for the next few days. There's, um, you know, a few obligations and stuff like that. And then when the games start officially on Thursday, like it's I think a beauty to look at like my website traffic because at noon on Thursday, the website traffic just drops off a cliff to, to like nothing. And as do, uh, you know, the like once the brackets close, everybody is just sort of like, yeah, terrific. Thanks for everything. See you next exactly. week. <laughs> exactly. Do you, exactly how it works. Do you consume the tournament the way the rest of us do? Like, do you fill out a stupid bracket and then like, like, do you leave your job or do you leave? Yeah. Do you leave your job teaching, uh, uh, climate at the University of Utah to like go watch games at a bar and shit like that on Thursday. Yeah, so Drew, this actually is my job now. I, I no longer uh, am, uh, have any obligations to weather or climate or teaching. So this is Ooh. a full time gig. Yeah. Wow. Oh, all right. So then, do you skip out of watching games for work to watch games while drunk at a bar? <laughs> That's pretty complicated. <laughs> yeah, and, it's and tough. hard to follow. But just say uh, what. Just say what you do. It's all right. That's what he's. That's all he's. It was one of those questions. that's just a joke. So you could. Have said, you, <laughs> you don't have to answer. Let's no, actually. I get, let's, it. I get it. Uh, no, but actually, like, how do you consume the tournament personally? Now that this is your lifeblood, right? So I try to avoid. Oddly enough, I try to avoid doing a bracket. Um, you know, I feel like a bracket for someone like me is like, you know, fantasy football for like a. NFL GM or something, right. you know, like you're already like really into the sport. Like, you know, is fantasy football really going to add anything to that? Um, so I, I avoid doing the bracket thing. But uh, yeah, once the games start, uh, I, um, you know, watch a lot of them and maybe get drunk on certain occasions for random reasons, I guess. I don't know. But I do watch a lot of games. That's yeah. great. That's great. This is so the happiest time of the year for me as a fan. And I found that, uh, in recent years, like as I've watched less and cared less about my bracket and sort of like embraced the fact that I'm probably not going to have seen the like 12 seed that is going to win three games or whatever, like the odds are just <laughs> right. against it. Like it's it's gotten easier for me to sort of, uh, and again, this is where I have the advantage of no one expecting me to know what I'm talking about. 
that like I, you know it can be a completely blissful experience of Stephen F. Austin emerging from the ether, winning two games, and then receding completely all the way out of my memory, as opposed to like having to sweat it out. Is it? I'm assuming that at this point, because you don't have a bracket and you've just got these rankings and ratings, uh, and you know, and you've got actual numbers behind it, that there's not like a great deal of anxiety to watching the tournament. Is that fair? For the most part, yeah. I, I mean, that's one of the reasons to not do a bracket is that you are mentally free to. Uh, you know, root for whatever team you want, change your allegiances in the middle of a tournament or, you know, middle of a round or middle of a game or whatever. Um, that's certainly part of the logic. The other thing is, like, you'd think, you know, I, I mean, I, I run a website where I'm trying to predict things, but part of that exercise, you know, has obviously taught me that it's impossible to predict things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and upsets will occur, and there's a certain chance, you know, like, you know, Gonzaga is the favorite to win the tournament this year, but their odds are like, you know, three to one, four to one to win it. So obviously the field is a much bigger bet. So no matter who you pick to win it all, you're probably going to be wrong. And yeah. uh, that's the problem with doing a bracket is that you're probably going to be wrong. This is the fun of depending on teenagers to behave predictably when under pressure in public. Just, I mean, when you put it that way, there's just no way that you could possibly expect an outcome that makes sense. I did, and, I did use to fill it out like religiously and like do research. And by research, I mean I would read the USA Today capsules <laughs> on every team. And, uh, and I was, took it very, very seriously and was very diligent about it. And now I fill it out like based upon whether or not my – like my wife went to Colgate. So I'm like, I put Colgate in the Sweet 16. <laughs> so it's like, it's like that sort of thing now. Like I'm totally – and I don't – like a lot of times like I don't even like – like I used to have the paper bracket in front of me. While I was watching the tournament, and I put a little X in pencil next to where, which I want to go, or a check mark if I got it right. And I don't even really bother to do that shit anymore. I'm, I am a bit, I'm a bit over the, the bracket of it. I'm, yeah. it's, I've aged out of that game. But the let's thing, talk about. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I have to say the bit that I've left behind is watching tournament week really hardcore and <laughs> acting like I know what I'm talking about. Like because that would happen every year. I'd watch it and be like convinced that Iona has that special something, and then you see them against a team where it's like that is allowed to recruit something other than six foot one guys from the Bronx. And you're like, oh, wow, there's a lot of different types of basketball players, huh? Some of them are very tall. Yeah, there's a specific age you have to be like to be like a bubblehead and be like, what do you mean Oklahoma didn't get in? What the fuck? Like you get very... (laughs) They were my first four of the last four out. So it it really could have gone either way. And then I and then I remember that, you know, within like 10 minutes of the bracket being issued, I don't give a shit which bubble teams got in <laughs> and which ones got out. But let's talk about this bracket in particular, the 2022 uh, one, because this is our first, this is the first time that the tournament will be played on schedule in three years, which is incredible to think about. So it's kind of a special tournament. And as you said, Ken, uh, Gonzaga is the top seed both in the bracket for the second straight year, and it's also the top in your rankings. Was it the la- was it the top team in your rankings going into last year's tournament? I imagine it was. It was, yes, it was, and we know how that turned out. Uh, again, with the with the backdrop that uh, the best team uh, heading into the tournament doesn't always win. Yes. Uh, why are they the best team this year? Well, this year, by the way, not as good as last year. So, um, you know, they lost quite a bit of town off last year's team, but this year's team... Uh, Features, you know, Drew Timmy, who was a stalwart on last year's team, kind of a, um, you know, scoring big man who is not quite good enough to, uh, you know, hit it big in the NBA draft. So, you know, he's hung around Gonzaga for for three years now. And uh, they also feature Chet Holmgren, who is uh, uh, a seven foot uh, beanpole, who uh, is a 41 percent three point shooter and really the type of basketball player that nobody's really ever seen before. But uh, he's expected to go, you know top three in the NBA draft, maybe number one. So 
those are really the two stalwarts of the team and uh, part of the reason why, uh, you know, they're still, again, the best team in the country, even though they're not uh, quite as good as they were last season. We love our beautiful Chet. There's a huge uh, Chet contingent in the, uh, the defector basketball slack. I have no idea what kind of NBA player he'll be, but he's extremely cool to watch. Like, he's just got... It's like if, uh, if Slender Man could shoot from 28 feet. Well, if he ends up anything like Adam Morrison in the pros, I think we're all in for a real treat. Yeah, it's Are different, though. Not? He actually looks like a real... Because I'm. this is the part for me as somebody who's been wrong and dumb about college basketball for decades now, is that like I have all this sort of accumulated scar tissue where Gonzaga is concerned that I think of them as being, it's like Corey Violet and Dan Dickow and Adam Morrison, like a certain type of like floppy-haired, sweaty, Caucasian dude who is working his absolute utmost to get a contested jump shot. A guy who looks like, like a weed dealer from 1990. Right. Chet Holmgren is like Kevin Durant or something. Like it's just, it doesn't, yes. it's not as hard as you're used to seeing it be for Gonzaga guys. Um, Gonzaga uh, famously has not, been able to uh, win the tournament, even though they went to the final uh, twice, uh, and last year they got uh, obliterated by Baylor. Do you are you, is there any way for you can to factor past tournament success or failure into your ratings? Do you account for that at all? Should you account for it at all? I do not account for that at all. Uh, the question of should I account for it is an interesting one. I suspect it's probably overplayed quite a bit especially given the fact you know how much roster turnover there is yeah. in college these days as well like there's not a lot of continuity yeah there's probably certainly some value i think in that coaching staff like having been to the tournament you know a million times in a row and they you know they know how to handle this and they they know how to handle teams going deep in the tournament now but you know you have cases you, know, you go back to like villanova right they won two titles in three years but in the middle they you know got knocked out in the second round like tom izzo was once known as a you know march legend and for good reason, but then he's also been on the wrong side of like one of the biggest first round upsets in NCAA history. So for all these coaches, even the best ones, there's a lot of variability in how they do from tournament to tournament. Have you found any correlation between teams that win their conference tourneys, uh, like Iowa just did, and teams that make a deep run in uh, the main tournament? Or does that not really matter at all? It probably doesn't matter a whole lot either. Like there's actually a pretty long run of national champions now that have not won their conference tournament. Part of that is like, you know, Iowa had to, I think they won four four games. They won four games. I think they yeah. won four games um, yes. in four days. So, you know, that takes something out of you. I'd like turn around and play, play in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, these teams that win conference tournaments, obviously they're, they're playing a lot of basketball right before the NCAA tournament. So, um, so any like positive you get from that momentum or positive indicator you get is probably slightly offset by just, you know, having to recharge the batteries a little bit that first weekend. If I may offer an idiot's counterpoint on that, if you're picking a bracket and you're me, uh, Iowa just won four games in four days. Did you see that shit? Very cool. <laughs> Who could beat them? Why would they stop? You could also argue that some of the higher conference seeds are not incentivized to really go that far in the conference tournament so that they can save their energy for the big boy tournament. Is there anything to that? That used to be a thing. you know. There used to be coaches who uh, would like just not care about conference tournaments and I think Lute Olson of Arizona was like the most notorious for that you know he, when the Pac-10 originally had its tournament like Arizona would like routinely perform horribly in it and he just would openly say you know I don't care about this I care about the NCAA tournament and now it seems like coaches won't go on go on record as saying that and uh and everybody's trying their hardest and even though it's uh kind of counterproductive you know the idea of uh 
load management hasn't yet filtered down from the NBA. So, uh, so everybody's working their butt off in these NCAA tournament or the conference tournaments for whatever reason. Lute Holson, such great hair, Hall of Fame hair. Really terrific. Also pioneered that look where he kind of looked like a photographic negative of himself because his it was, skin was completely orange and his hair was completely white. Guy Fieri would later perfect this look. Uh, yes. Decades. It's an, ab- uh, an absolutely fabulous looking person. Uh, the worst power five team in the field, according to your rankings, is David Ross' own Ruckus. We're not talking. No, we don't need to talk about that. Yeah, well, I, think, I think we ought to talk All about right. why are Ruckers so bad, Ken? Well, here's the thing. Like, they finished the season, you know, somewhat strong. You know, they're 12-8 and in the Big Ten. Their claim to fame was beating four consecutive teams that were ranked in the AP Top 25, which was some kind of record. But <laughs> certainly a record for Rutgers. If it was really, it was the first time that they'd won uh, four games in a month since I was a child or something. But... Rutgers this is the kind of program that would hang like a personal best banner. Like in the <laughs> <laughs> on this spot, we we beat Purdue. <laughs> Go ahead, Ken. Yeah. Well, they also had a, a you know a, a three game losing streak early in the season where they consecutively lost to DePaul, uh, Lafayette, and UMass. Um, you know, neither of whom are in the NCAA tournament, by the way. So uh, you know that is a nice counterbalance, and I think people you know obviously are looking at Rutgers' recent performance and and attributing that to their team and saying that's who they are. But, uh, you know, my ratings don't forget. They don't forget what happened in November. And what happened in November was uh, very, very bad. Yeah. They're, I think it's a fair thing to – they're a college basketball team. Like, I think we talked about this a couple of episodes ago. But, like, they're I, – I love them. I'm happy that they're going to get to – I hope get to play in the proper field. But I'm glad that they're, you know, two years in a row getting invited and everything like that. But they really have that, like – it's like a 90s Knicks sort of vibe, you know, like that they're just they're going to play very hard. They're going to play good defense. But like the limitations are right there in front of you. And that to me is like the experience of watching college basketball aesthetically for me. Uh, and, you know, not to say that everybody else needs to get on board with it. They're going to miss a lot of shots and everything like that. And Paul Mulcahy's not for everyone. Not everybody likes a headband guy. But uh, yeah, to me, they're, they're, there's something pure about them. I just I hope they beat Notre Dame. Because that's yeah. like the battle for the soul of my North Jersey hometown, like playing out on a basketball court right there. Well, by the time this posts, we will have known yes, whether we'll or not know. they triumphed over Notre Dame or whether or not they have. And by the way, the headband guy, you know, in the pros, like Cliff Robinson, that's cool. At the Y, less so. You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, can you have Houston uh, as the number four country, or number, I'm sorry, the number four team overall in the nation, but they're famously underseeded in this tournament. They're a number five seed in the South. Why do your rankings favor Houston, and why didn't the committee do likewise? Houston is a uh, a fascinating case. I mean, the most fascinating team in the tournament, I think. So, uh, the answer to the last question is pretty simple. Like they didn't really beat anybody good. Uh, you know, their best wins were over Oklahoma State, who is thirty uh, sixth in my ratings and would have been in the tournament had they been eligible. Uh, they also beat Memphis in the in their conference tournament, but they lost to Memphis twice in the uh, in the regular season. Uh, the other good teams they played, you know, they lost to Wisconsin. They lost at Alabama. Both of those games, though, were very close. They also lost to SMU, which wasn't a great loss, but that game also was a one-possession game. So um, so the ratings, you know, see through that, and they say, hey, wow, they even though they didn't win these games, they played these tough teams pretty close. They dominated their league pretty well. Um, people are down on them for, uh, for that main reason that they didn't beat anybody, but also that they lost their – you know, two of their better players to injury, season-ending injuries this season, uh, Marcus Sasser and Tremont Mark. 
however, both of those injuries occurred in back in December. Like this team has has been who they are since then, and you know, it was pretty successful again in conference play. Really dominated their league, going fifteen and three, and finishing with the best offensive and defensive rating in the league. So. I am uh, I'm really curious to see what Houston is, is going to do uh, in this tournament. They, you know, again, metrics-wise suggest that they should, they should do pretty well. They should get to the Sweet 16. Obviously, um, the committee disagrees, and it really seems like the general public especially disagrees. Like, they are just getting absolutely no respect from anyone. That's interesting. By contrast, you have Providence. Uh, they're the most overseeded team in the tournament. They're a four-seed, despite you having them ranked 49th overall. So... It's the opposite question here. Why do your rankings uh, look so far down on Providence, and why did the committee think so highly of them? So Providence was uh, kind of a once-in-a-generation team in terms of their ability to uh, to win close games, which uh, historically is not really a skill. It's uh, it's it's much more luck and it's not something that thing that, that you happens can, to you. As opposed kind of a to thing that happens to you. Yeah, yeah. They've had uh, uh, you know, and so it doesn't really matter who they play. Like. It ends up being a close game. So they, you know, they had a, you know, they, they got taken to overtime by DePaul. They got taken to overtime by Butler, uh, two of the worst teams in the Big East. Um, and, you know, some of these games, like, sure, there were, like, clutch shots made. And, you know, Providence did things down the stretch. But there are also games where, like, they missed, you know, free throws at the end of the game. And the other team, you know, got the ball with a chance to win and missed their own shot. So, so there's definitely uh, definitely some luck involved there. Like I, I feel bad for my Providence friends because everybody you know associated with Providence thinks I'm the devil. But uh, I can assure you, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for Providence. I hope they succeed, but uh, I'm not optimistic. Again, it sounds like you're describing a college basketball team right there. Like just in terms of making it complicated for yourself at every turn. I have had that happen where where if the uh, if the analytics don't favor my team, like in terms of a ranking. I get angry at the person who made the like the formula, and I I think of them as being biased for making their computer biased against my team. So I always <laughs> take it personally, even though the whole point is that you don't. Uh, so I imagine you get fans being like, "Hey, what the fuck?" When you know when you when you're you're saying that this team really isn't as good as they seem, or you know this team this team that they hate is better, much much better than they seem. Yes, like it's not, it's something about being a uh, fan of a team where it's not enough for your team to have success. Like your team has to have success and like every single person associated with the sport has to acknowledge that success and, and, and confirm it. And uh, Providence has had like, you know, the best season in school history and um, it's great for them, but they strike me as a fan base that's still not completely satisfied about what's happened this year. Do people send you photos of the spooky friar? via email to scare you <laughs> i mean i are you know before the season you know i already had nightmares about the spooky fryer so nothing's really changed in that regard it is i'm really looking uh, forward to seeing more matt norlander posts he's been i think one of our foremost scholars of the extremely scary providence fryer mascot <laughs> he's really good at like taking pictures of it just sitting down seemingly watching the game amid fans during stuff really haunting haunting stuff uh you actually you you have providence graded uh, statistically, is the luckiest team in this field. Uh, and I wanted to ask you about luck um, because I wanted to know, is, is there any evidence that l if you have luck all the way through the season, is that a large enough sample size to say it will carry over into the tournament or would that be just complete 
bunk. Would that not be a positive attribute for a team to have going into the tournament? It's probably not a, a po- I mean, yeah, it, it probably doesn't make any difference. Um, and again, that is like people need to understand, like just because you're lucky doesn't mean like you're going to be unlucky in the future. Like Providence could still like they could still win close games in the tournament. But they're just not any more likely to do that than anybody else. Um, you know, the thing, like, there's been a, a couple of similar cases to this in the past. Like, 2017 Maryland was almost identical to Providence. You know, super lucky uh, in terms of winning close games in the regular season. Not ranked well in my ratings. They lost to Northwestern in the Big Ten tournament, and they lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Um, 2010 New Mexico was a, another example of this. Similar outcome. They made it to the second round of the NCAA tournament. They were a three seed, and they were a a Vegas underdog to an 11 seed and ended up losing by double digits in the, in the second round. So past history is not good on on that front. And uh, like I said, I I don't, that doesn't, you know, as a sample of two. So like Providence could, could be that team that breaks through. And I I think it'd be a cool story if they did. But uh, again, I, I'm a little concerned for them. Would your opinion there change if the NCAA tournament was not one and done? Uh, Probably not. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they've already played like 30 odd games and stuff, but this the, is true. Yeah. That's true. But and it I, is, I just, uh, by the way, great point about the one and done thing because, you know, you think about like the NBA playoffs and, you know, you have seven games that are 48 minutes long and college basketball is one game that's 40 minutes long. Like, obviously, goofy things are going to happen. That's why you can't predict it. Right. I mean, that's what makes it fun. I mean, of that's course. why you, that's why, that's why it's fun to bet on because Absolutely. you're going to lose, but you're going to lose with style. Yeah. Um, would it be a mistake? If I filled out my bracket going exclusively by your rankings, like if I went Ken Palm chalk, would that be a smart idea? Or am I just as uh, vulnerable to the vagaries of, of the field as anybody else would be? You're definitely vulnerable. Like, you know, you're going to have a bunch of a bunch of losses like like everybody else. You might have like slightly fewer losses. Um, I just find that approach like incredibly boring like you know yeah, yeah i gonna, hate chalk picks chalk picks yeah, are yeah like uh, you knowing you're gonna lose a bunch of games and like every game you lose is gonna be some like fun upset that everybody else is like oh yeah cool you know vermont beat arkansas great and you're like you know cussing at the tv because you picked arkansas like that's that's my only beef with that like it's it, uh, filled out a bracket there should be some like fun involved it shouldn't be a super scientific process you know we're talking about you know picking a sporting event here so so i'm kind of like uh you know, philosophically opposed to just using my ratings or any other like, you know, rote system and, and making all your picks based on that. I will say that you have been, uh, I'm not going to give away too much about my my famous bracket that everybody is very curious about and interested in learning more about. Uh, you are my source of information for the West Coast Conference being good. Uh, like, I have not seen the San Francisco Dons play basketball. I haven't thought about them as a program since, like, Bill Cartwright retired. Uh, they appear quite good, just looking at the numbers on your webpage. And I have, like, I'm inclined to believe you. It's just strange with some of this stuff. Like, this is the part of college basketball that is hardest, is that even the most dedicated basketball pervert could not possibly have like a working knowledge of all of these teams based on, on grinding tape or watching stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's the entire like motivation behind building the website is that, you know, there's 358 teams and there's no way to follow them all. And you you can probably follow like two or three teams closely if you really try hard. So, um, having a resource for those other teams is, is useful. And, uh, I have seen San Francisco play a lot because living out West, I tend to watch like the later games, but, uh, yeah, they're like a legitimately good team. Like, you know, this year was kind of unique, obviously, in the fact there's a lot of like a lot more experience out there. You know, you have the COVID year, which is a free year of eligibility. Players are older and um, 
San Francisco took advantage of that. You know, they're they're an older team, so it's always a challenge though to figure out how you know how good a team like that is that hasn't really played like the big boys a lot. Murray State's another example of that. You know, how good are they? They've lost two times all year, but they haven't played you know a really tough schedule. But the selection committee did a. The selection committee did us a favor, and they matched up San Francisco and Murray State together. So uh, <laughs> I always get mad when that happens. Like it's sort of like you got to distribute these guys. Like this is one of these teams is going to be a team that people talk themselves into for you know five days and would like absolutely die for them during that period. Don't make them play each other. It's bad yeah. programming. And then the winner gets Kentucky. So it's like ugh. yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like have fun later. with this one game. Yeah, and then, yeah. Uh, to that, to that, to that end, when you watch a team. Um, do you find yourself personally swayed by how you have ranked them as you watch them play? Does that, you know, does that does that change how you watch a team play, or do you have your own eye test that sometimes conflicts with how you've rated those teams? Uh, not too much, you know. I don't uh, I don't trust my eyes a whole lot, Drew. <laughs> I, you know, I, I tend to trust the data a little bit more. Not um, mine. My eyes are flawless. I know when a team is good or bad within seconds of play. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I, I like kind of root against the eye test, you know, um, like we talked about Houston earlier, and that's a team that clearly like the experts out there using their eyes, you know, they think Houston kind of stinks. And the numbers obviously say they're really good. And so, you know, I would love for nothing more than for Houston to like make the final four again and like prove the eye test wrong. So I could, you know, send out some snarky tweet to Gary Parrish or whatever, you know, at some point. And it would be, uh, that's a fun team to see make it too, because they don't, beyond the eye test in terms of like who they've played and like, obviously, yeah, they're stuck playing Tulane or Rice or whatever else is going on in that conference at this point. There's like, they're also not like an exceptionally like pro looking, like if you look at Kentucky, you're like, all right, this is like a high end basketball team because they have a bunch of like tall guys and jumping guys. Like Houston's got a lot of dudes that are just kind of rectangular. Like they look like (laughs) a, like sort of like dot matrix generated basketball players. And yet like they are good. Like we saw it last year. Like, so that I, this is the part of it that I'm, I'm getting myself pumped up for the actual games now is finding out like, like, do you remember the, the year that like, um, Loyola Chicago had that center that just looked like he had walked off the set of Bill Swirsky's super fans. Like that. There's just like finding out that teams have like strange guys on them. There's like, Oh, there's like a bald guy with sideburns on this team. Or that there's like a guy who appears to be 34 years old. Like, I cannot wait to be introduced to these weirdos. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy that, too. I enjoy the person where there's always, like, like one of the small teams, like, one of the 13 seeds are below. There's always, like, there's always, like, some six-foot-nine white guy is the center who has a torso that's, like, eight feet long. And <laughs> I always enjoy that. Let's take a break and come right back with the immortal Ken Pomeroy. And we're back with Ken Pomeroy talking about uh, the 2022 NCAA tournament, the men's tournament. Uh, we uh, we asked uh, Jason Zengerly this a couple weeks ago, but I think, Ken, you're a bit better qualified to answer that, and I don't think Jason would be offended by me saying that. Have you found that there is greater parity across college basketball in recent years, and especially in terms of conference strength, or, or is it still essentially you know, the power conferences rule all and whatever? Yeah, power conferences rule all. If anything, like they're they're increasing their dominance over everybody else. You know, you certainly see that as well, and like the the uh, budgets of these teams. Um, you know, it's something I track actually when I do preseason ratings. That's an input into the, the ratings is like what a team's budget is, and the budgets of the power six conferences in college basketball are just you know continue to to grow. Like everybody's budget's growing, but 
the budgets in, in, at the power conferences grow by a greater percent every year than they do in other leagues. And, uh, you know, you obviously you see that in terms of conference strength as well. Like there's just every year it seems like there's fewer and fewer teams outside the power five that are ranked in the top 50. Part of it due to the power conferences getting stronger. Part of it due also to power conferences just taking teams from lesser leagues and, you know, putting them in their own league. Like, you know, right. we've seen Wichita State and, and Butler over the years, you know, end up being those kind of teams. Uh, do you factor budget, athletic budget, into the rankings ever? Should you? Yeah, yeah, into the preseason rankings I do. Like, this time of year, there's no, the preseason rankings aren't included. You know, there's not a factor for them in the, in the actual ratings. So I do not include the budget in the actual ratings. At this point, it's just simply uh, your points scored and allowed per possession adjusted for schedule. I think, you know, there's a temptation to include other factors, and I may do that in the future, but I think having pure scores, like, uh, I don't know, gives me, um, I guess, a little more freedom when people come at me and say, you're biased, or you do this, or you do that, you know, but I, I just have scores in there, guys, that's all I have, and and so, you know, whatever bias exists is just due to that. That's interesting, the budget. I'm assuming you're factoring it in just in the sense that those teams that spend more are going to be not just like better prepared or whatever, but like the players will sleep in more comfortable beds, travel more comfortably, have access to, you know, better nutrition and, and sort of, is that basically what it is that like the apparatus around the program yeah. improves the players? Better facilities, all that stuff. Uh, the other issue is too, you know, when you look like, um, uh, you know, whatever the, uh, you know, this better than I do Roth, whatever the state of the art, like our preseason baseball forecasts are now, you know, you know the players on the team in, in Major League Baseball, so you can just directly compute like preseason projections from that. In college, it's obviously quite a bit different. Like you don't necessarily know all the players on the team. You know, there's a lot of recruits that come in that you just don't have information on, and so I have to include data that goes beyond players to try to cover those holes and just estimate like, hey, what kind of players are they bringing in. So the budget also speaks to that. If somebody's you know in a power conference is bringing in a, a three-star recruit that I know nothing about, that recruit's probably like better prepared to play high-level basketball than if you know. Wagner brings in the same type of guy. Yeah. Well, let's leave the let's leave the NEC out of this. All right. right. Just a little bit of respect, but that is actually interesting that you mentioned baseball too, though, because there's like that lesson is one that baseball ownership has made a, a big point of not learning. The idea that like a little bit of money spent on facilities or like a post game spread that has like the basic food groups in it instead of just like a big thing of Skippy peanut butter and a loaf of bread, that like that does benefit the players down the line. It's just that like. They don't want to do it, so they don't do it. Yeah, that's I, just me complaining about baseball. You don't need to follow that. It's a non sequitur. I just wanted to get that on the record. You Drew, backed to baseball this before I backed to football. it. I'm very impressed. <laughs> uh, can you have Duke uh, as number twelve overall, despite them being a two seed in the West? So I have to ask you, why do you hate Coach uh, K so much? What's your problem? He's. I mean, he's, same same reasons we all do, right? Like. Uh, yeah, because we hate leadership. Obviously, <laughs> Ugh. do you do you ever get secretly annoyed at your rankings if a team you personally dislike rates highly in them? Are you ever like, oh man, shit, they're, uh, they're good? <laughs> I don't. I can't recall a situation where I've I felt like that. Um, it's probably more the opposite, where a team that's not rated highly in my ratings is you know universally revered by everybody else. And Duke almost falls into that category this year. Like, uh, you know, people still are holding nice. out hope that, that Duke's going to make a run here and, and do Coach K proud. And, uh, you know, they just had a, you know, a long kind of a long track record this season of not playing terribly inspired basketball. The ACC is not good this year. It's really like 
the worst ACC in two or three decades, maybe longer. Uh, so even though they, you know, went 16 and four and won the conference, it's uh, tainted a bit by the fact that the league was so down. So I am. <laughs> And they got fucking housed by the Tar Heels in the final yeah. home game. Which is cool. It says something about uh, Coach K's legacy, probably not the the thing that you would want to say about Coach K's legacy, that I have enough experience disliking Duke teams and wishing for them to lose that at this point, like, I have comps in my head for which type of underperforming Duke team this is. Like, it's not the ones where, like, K mysteriously stepped down for a year because of back problems because he didn't want to coach, like, a shitty players, but this is it feels like the team which I guess had uh Jason Tatum on it that lost in the first round to what is it not Colgate? What is the Lehigh? Lehigh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This has losing to Lehigh vibes, uh, and that is not based on anything. There are no numbers on my website backing that up. I just feel like I need to get on the record that that's the vibe. But do you, uh, do you can are you do you have any way of putting anecdotal factors like that into ratings or, pro- or projections? Like it being Coach K's final year with the team, or LSU firing Will Wade before the tourney has begun, which has to affect them in some, certainly in some intangible way, but could produce a, a tangible result. Is there any way to to reconcile any of that shit when you're grading these teams? Uh, that falls into the the area of I think subjective judgment. There's not a lot of precedent for that. There's obviously like very little precedent for a situation like Coach K, you know, pre-announcing his retirement after a. 42 year career winning a thousand games or whatever like you know is that going to help Duke is are they going to be more inspired or are they going to feel more pressure like so far you know the jury would say they feel more pressure like you pointed out you know they got crushed by Carolina in their last home game they got crushed by Virginia Tech in the ACC tournament like hasn't gone well for them uh LSU a little bit different like uh, yeah obviously there's a little bit of chaos there in terms of the coaching staff and, and we'll see how that plays out but uh, I would agree like changing your head coach on the eve of the NCAA tournament is uh you know, probably not a good thing for your team. Right. Unless, yeah. I mean, Michigan did it and they went all the way to the, so that's, yeah. again, while that we're talking about sample though, sizes right? of one from when I was a child, but yes, that is, but that was also more of a case of like the coach essentially bailing on the team Yeah, and, you know, the players, you know, rallying around, a, um, you know, an assistant coach. This is a case where, you know, coach got fired. And so you'd think maybe the, the players might, might take that differently, but we'll see. Your ratings like LSU decently well, though, it seems like. They do, despite the fact that they've like lost a bunch of games of late. I mean, they went 500 in the SEC. Oh, the SEC was was really tough this year. You know, you can say the opposite about the SEC than you can for the ACC. Like it's, it was one of the toughest uh, years uh, that they've had in a while. Um, so the, the the ratings have hung on to, to LSU actually being pretty good, despite the fact that they they've lost 11 games this season. Uh, well, then we've 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 gotten into the brass tacks. We've done the the proper analysis. Let's get into the stupid shit. And let me ask you, Ken, who sucks in this year's tournament? <laughs> who are the shit teams? We've be been like, over uh, Rutgers. Just leave. Yeah, it alone. we've been over Rutgers. We've been over Providence. Anybody? Any other team where I should like really arch my eyebrows like up above my forehead at? Uh, well, Wisconsin is another one of those teams that's been pretty oh, lucky. Yeah. 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 yeah, they're. Oh. Um, yeah, they're a three seed uh, in the Midwest. Yeah, you already got you already picked against them anyway, Drew. So I'm not telling you anything you don't know. They're playing Colgate. Yeah. Um, that can be a, a pretty interesting <laughs> game. My wife's alma mater. Go Colgate. Anyway, yeah, Purdue's another team that kind of sucks. They're uh, they're a three seed in the in the East. Uh, their defense is uh, ranked right around a hundredth in the country. So they uh, they do have one that? of the best offenses in the nation, but their defense is pretty bad, has been consistently pretty bad. There's really no indications that it will not be pretty bad in the NCAA tournament, so they're another team that could uh, 
could bow out a little bit sooner than you would expect based on their seating. This is this points to like one of the challenges of trying to um, use a defective brain and the eye test to do this is that the trend of the three teams that we've talked about that are actually bad, I guess you're leaving Providence out of it. They're all big 10 teams and they all play each other. And so like, I've seen those teams a lot and I know that they're capable of losing to Rutgers and I know what that means, (laughs) but I also am like, because I've seen them, I've talked myself into like, I think Johnny Davis is good on Wisconsin. He probably is good. He is good. Yeah. But it's like, I've also seen the rest of the team and it's just like, it's straight, you know, Wisconsin, like, NPC, like, random guy generator type dudes, you know? And that is also what it is. Yeah, so, like, Johnny Davis is legit good. Uh, I guess the issue is, like, how many times does a team... Like, he's, he's like, really their guy offensively. Like, he is their guy. Um, more so than probably any other highly seeded team in the tournament. Like, he's their offensive guy. And there's, you might think that's a good thing, but I, I don't know. There's a lot of, like, there aren't a lot of precedents for a team that's, like, so dominated by one player having a lot of success in the tournament. It does happen on occasion, but it's rare. And like, you know, Carmelo Anthony comes to mind at Syracuse, but you know, that's like 20 years ago. Like I'm sure there've been cases since then, you know, Steph Curry, obviously Davis, and it's more of a mid-major thing really where yeah, the, teams have success. Like the trend for like big teams is like, it's like what Baylor was last year, where it's just like a, a ton yeah. of athletes and like everybody sort of knows their role and plays it as opposed to having like Whatever, Johnny Davis scoring twice as many points as anybody else on the team per game. That team was so fucking good, man. It was yeah. such a good team. Are they yeah, are they was... as good this year? I can't imagine they're as good, even though they're a one seed. They're not as good this year. Uh, you know, they the thing is they weren't like heading into the season they weren't expected to be a one seed. They you know lost a bunch of dudes from last year, um, but they have a couple of like pretty exciting freshmen and Kendall Brown and Jeremy Sohan who uh, have really helped them uh, get back to that one seed level, but. They, too, have been hit by a few injuries late in the season that have uh, kind of hurt their depth. Like, you know, I still think they're, they're a really solid team. People keep doubting them. Like, there was a time where doubting Scott Drew was uh, fashionable and popular and maybe a right thing to do. But uh, over the last decade, like, that script has, has flipped, and you, you really don't want to doubt him. So, uh, so it yeah. wouldn't surprise me if, if, you know, they are still able to make a deep run here. Yeah. That's another one I've had a hard time letting go of, <laughs> along with continuing to pretend that, like, Dan Dickow is on Gonzaga like Baylor is bullshit as like a way of picking a bracket worked for me for 12 years and then abruptly stopped working like five years ago. And I have not updated my, this is what makes it different. Uh, this is why I'm not at the Ken Pomeroy level is I'm still working off the same yeah, you're shitty like, algorithms that worked for me in 2014. You're like me Roth, like where my like college basketball takes are frozen at an exact point in my life. The same way like Bill Simmons pop culture takes are frozen when, yeah, from when he like was just, like 28. You, know? you can see the moment that, like, the yep. thing was unplugged from the wall. Like, I'm watching USC and wondering where Harold Miner fits into the offense now. Yeah. Sad, really, if uh, you think about it. Ken, as we're recording this, the first four has not finished playing, and I still hate the play-in round. Do I need to get over that? Because it's already produced It produced uh, a VCU Final Four team, and then last year it produced a UCLA Final Four team that goddamn near beat Gonzaga and was an yep. incredibly entertaining team to watch. Are, have you personally accepted the play-in as just sort of a, a fact of life, or do you dislike it as much as I do? I have accepted it as a fact of life, yeah. I am not enthusiastic about it, certainly, and I don't I don't gear up to watch the, you know, 16 seed play the 16 seed in these games. I, I, I pass on those. <laughs> right. Yeah. Tard! Yeah. yeah, I don't need to see Texas Southern against Texas A&M Corpus Christi, like, just not my thing, but yeah, it's like um, not a game that you'd watch on like a Wednesday night when there was nothing else on TV. Like that, like loses out to an episode of Chopped. Just, yeah, 
even if it is one of two college games on a night. Uh, who who would win a fight between you and Joe Lunardi? <laughs> uh, man, that is something I have not given a second of thought to in my life. A so, physical uh, fight, not a battle of wills. You, it's punching and kicking and stuff like that. I think I'm in a little better shape than Joe, so I'm gonna. All right, I'm gonna take myself, bet on myself. I like it. I like it. All right, well, all right. Let's uh, let's get to the chase. Uh, who you got? Who do I got? Like who you win- got? I mean, all winning at all. Wait, who's, who's your final four, and then who's your who's your winner of the tournament? All right, let's do this. Um, my final four is as the following: um, Gonzaga. Okay. Okay. Ooh, interesting. Uh, I got Kentucky. Are they good? They're they're pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. We should talk about them. Uh, Kentucky. I got Kentucky. Um, I have Villanova. Ooh, Villanova. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Villanova, and I have Iowa. So you oh. actually have picked. Well, this is something that. Hopefully, uh, readers of Defector.com will uh, learn a little bit more about why Kent has picked Iowa. So you just like decided to treat yourself and pick the fun team to win the fu- make it to the Final Four? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my attitude, you know, again, is uh, like, look, if you look, if you go out there, go to any uh, website that does sports and see who they're, you know, picking for the, see who, you know, Johnny Sports Writer is picking for the finals. It's like, you know, Gonzaga, Arizona. Some combination of Gonzaga, Kentucky, Arizona. Like, everybody's doing that. Mm-hmm. So I could do that. Like, that's actually the most likely final. Like, you know, Gonzaga, Arizona is the most likely final. But, but I like to mix it up. I like to spice it up. And I like Iowa. They're a fun team to watch. And so I'm going to be rooting for Iowa. And so I'm going to pick Iowa. Yeah, it, it, it really is more fun to make the picks based on your own sort of prejudices or or interests, or like, you know, you know, oh, I like their, you, like, it's just, just a fun way to do it. it. Otherwise, you know, why why really do it? You know, like, if you're like, oh, oh, I gotta do it so that I, I win the money, you're not gonna fucking win. It doesn't matter. It's like, so who gives a exactly. shit? Exactly. And I don't want to win picking Duke. I don't want to win picking Kentucky. Yeah. Like, it's true. Win that? It's like dirty money, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel just absolutely fucking filthy. Uh, Roth, do you want to give a pick? Did you, have you thought even twice about it? Since yes. I mean, I have a bracket filled out, um, I have a couple of brackets filled out to like cover uh, my bases of all the different ways I can be wrong. So I managed to combine the uh, boring chalk bullshit that you guys just finished dragging with uh, two stupid picks, which is I have, um, and again, this is recency bias plus uh, watching Pac-10 games like late at night uh, while drinking, (laughs) but coloring it. So I have Gonzaga and UCLA and Arizona and Iowa. Oh, very very yeah. nice. I, UCLA does not make sense as a as a final four pick. I just um that game against Arizona the in the whatever Pac-12 final was awesome. It was one of the most fun college basketball games I've watched in a really long time. And I think Arizona is excellent. So seeing UCLA stick with them as well as they did again, uh I I think I've made it clear that no one should take my advice about college basketball at this point. I want to underline that point again. But like yeah, I thought they looked great, so why not? I'll give you my picks, and it undermines everything I just talked to you, uh, to Ken, about. I, I picked Duke to go to the Final Four. Well, just oh. because you think, like, you're just picking the thing you don't want to happen to yeah, happen? Yeah, I picked to go to the Final Four, <laughs> but I didn't, I, didn't have, I didn't have the stomach to have them wing at all. I have them facing UCLA in the Final Four and losing to UCLA. On the other side of the bracket, I have Houston, because of Ken's ratings, yes. and going <laughs> against Auburn. I have Auburn beating them, so I have UCLA defeating Auburn. Uh, in the in the national championship, that is completely and utterly uninformed in every way. And I only picked UCLA because I liked watching them uh, so much a year ago. Hey, uh, it's time to remember a guy every week. Ken, we remember an athlete uh, 
of yore, and we call him a guy. So this week we have a guy of the week. Would you like to know who the guy of the week is? Bring it on. It's Weber State's own Harold the Show Arsenault. Do you remember Harold Arsenault, Ken? I vaguely remember, remember Harold Arsenault. Yeah, uh, 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 maestro of, a, of an upset of North Carolina in the first round, somewhere around uh, 1999-ish. Yeah, yeah. I'm only going to remember your your small podunk team if they beat a big boy in the NCAA tournament and you were like, and you scored 30 points in that game or something like that. And yet, if that does happen, if you are Ali Farouk Manesh of Northern Iowa and you do it once, then you'll be like the last name I forget before my mind completely goes. <laughs> that's right. Is, that's right. It's funny and you'll how never that works. To, <laughs> and you'll never have to buy a drink again in your life. It's fucking cool. It's yeah. very cool. Hey, it's time to open up the fun bag, Ken. Would you like to answer some questions from readers? We'll be very quick and painless about it. Let's do it. Uh, Joe writes in, why do people rarely use the word abominable? It seems like a timely fucking adjective. My theory is that the abominable snowman moniker has ruined it. Do you ever use the word abominable, Ken? Too many syllables. Uh, oh. oh yeah. There's about yeah. a 25% chance I don't get the word out correctly. So that, I do not use that word, and, and that is the main reason why. Yeah. That's a good point. You got to be, if you want to have a, a word really emerge as a favorite, it's got to be user friendly. If you got a it, chance of getting a bobbleable and then people are <laughs> roasting you, changing the name of the group DM, all that stuff, you don't want that. It is, it is a terrific word and it hasn't been ruined by the discourse the way like deplorable has. So mm. I do like, you know, it does Fair connote point. a monstrous, awful person. So I, I do. Oh, deplorable's never coming back, huh? No, it's never, it's never terrific coming back. Terrific word, too. Yeah, it's 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 a shame, but what do you do? It goes into the basket of canceled words. Uh, Brian writes in, uh, I was listening to the distraction at my hood the other day. I'm a scientist. And playing air drums along with the intro when a coworker <laughs> saw me and asked what song I was listening to. It was fucking embarrassing to admit that it was not a whole song, but a goddamn podcast intro. That's disrespectful to Kirk Hamilton, by the way. Anyway, Brian wants to know, which is better to play when rocking out to actual music, air drums or air guitar? I find myself alternating depending upon the music. Show your work. Ken, air drums or air guitar? Which one you got? Uh, air drums are, are more impressive. Uh, particularly, like, I've struggled with air drums my whole life uh, just because it's hard, you know, hard to time it up properly. You know, you got to get that timing right. Of course. And, uh, anyone who can do the air drums with proper timing has my uh, complete admiration. Yeah, that's a, that's a good answer to me. It's true, yeah, because... With air guitar, all you gotta do is strum. Yeah. The air drums, like some, I like to do a little like reach for the hi hat sometimes, mm -hmm. yeah. and stuff like that. Like, it, there's Drew, a little are you, bit. Are you more... a guy that makes the guitar man faces when you're air guitaring, like Steve? Fuck Vi, yeah, like, I do. like being like, oh, I'm surprised at how cool that note is. Like just doing one of those. I do, I do the white man's. Over, I do everything. You were not there for trivia night last week when it, I did what riff am I singing? But I did. I air guitared. And I was like, dun, 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 dun. like I banged my head. I did everything. I did the whole, the whole spiel. It was terrific. I feel like we need to let's just spare a thought for air keys. Pretending to play a synthesizer while you're listening to like a Devo song Ooh, or yourself. a guitar. Try it out. Yeah. Uh, Tom writes in. Hearing Matthew Stafford's interviewers and teammates refer to him as Matthew made me think. When a guy has a name that is easily and commonly converts to a nickname, Matt, Tom, John. You find it kind of disconcerting when that person opts to keep going by their full name as a grown man. Matthew, Thomas, and Jonathan all give me hardcore elementary school attendance vibes. Do you ever have a problem, Ken, when people go by their full names and not the obvious nickname at hand? Yeah, getting back to the whole syllable thing, like, 
you know, I'm a Kenneth, but you know, just call me Ken, man. I think it's so much simpler, easier. You know, Matthew's an extra, it's an extra syllable. Let's just stick to one syllable when possible. I think that's a, you know, an approach to live by. You know what, Roth? That might be why I call you Roth, so I don't have to do the two syllables of David because you don't go by well, David. no one actually calls me. This is the thing that's funny about it. So I've got Roth, obviously, <laughs> thanks to, to you and Sorry. Uh, our beloved podcast. <clears throat> but that is like people that don't know me that know me exclusively through this would like introduce them. They'd be like, hey, are you like Roth or whatever? The, no one calls me David. People that I'm friends with call me Dave. They always have. Oh, do they? Yeah. And so there's, like, the idea of, like, David was, like, a thing that I would get called um, if I had been caught concealing something from my parents. I would be called by my, the full version of my first name. <laughs> David J. Was, Roth. Yes, exactly. That, like, that would be more or less. Well, not J. They would say the J part. But, yeah, the, um, it, so I don't necessarily mind that, but I've never, like, insisted upon uh, David as a thing just because like you know why it, why would you trouble somebody with that extra syllable what if they screw it up what if they say David then they're embarrassed yeah that's true could, uh, accidents could happen at any point along that stretch because it's just so long and, and, yeah. and tough you know really don't rough don't take the sledding. risk just well, call me Roth David Roth and Kenneth Pomeroy this was a fantastic <laughs> tournament preview they really was it was our best ever because we had actual knowledge at hand and that yeah. was because of you Ken so thank you thank you so much for joining us would, would you do it again next year maybe with us I would do it let's, uh, let's put it on the calendar I'd love to, love to come back Fuck yeah, it's Beth. Now that's what I call a good Thanks, haters man. guy. And you uh, can see Ken's ratings anytime you want as analysis at KenPom.com. Uh, as for us, Brandon Nixon, Corinne Wallace are our producers. Daisy Rosario is our executive producer, and our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. And you can air drum to it anytime you want. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. And thanks to us, you can get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to StitcherPremium.com and use the promo code distract don't forget to rate review and subscribe wherever it is that you listen and go subscribe to defector.com too while you're at it ken and raw thank you so much for joining us and enjoy the tournament thanks drew enjoy the tournament everybody see you next week bye see you